Hey, good morning. Welcome to church. Hey, you can clap. Excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. I hope you are too. Welcome if you're joining us online. My name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here at ACF Church. I'm so glad that you chose to spend your morning with us. Um, we have been going through a series called Paradigm Shift, and it is really looking at the Bible, what it is, uh, what is, why do we need it. It's the very words of God, so it's important what it is, what it is not. We talked about that it's, it's written for us, but it's not written to us. It's not a dear Stuart Poteet, this is what you should do in life, love God. But it is for us. It does have Uh, It does speak directly to who our Creator is, who we are, uh, who God is, how we should treat others uh, as we walk through life, Um, and it many much more than that as well. And what it is is we talked about how we got the the Bibles, the thirty nine books of the Old Testament, the twenty seven books of the New Testament, giving us a sixty six book compilation that we call the Bible. This is what we have today, written over fifteen hundred years by forty different authors, three different languages and compiled and given to us, but yet telling a single unified story of our Creator pointing directly at Jesus and that we can be made right before our God through belief in Him. That's what the Bible is. Last week, then we kind of took a detour and we had our mission briefing where we looked at our values uh, at ACF Church and really what God, what we have seen God doing in the last year uh, here through the, the, the family of uh, believers here, and also what God is calling us into in the next year. And so that was really exciting. And so now we're going to end our Paradigm Shift series today, uh, and we're going to be really, what do we do now is the question we want to ask. Like, so what now? Um, how do we start if it's so important, if the Word of God has been given to us, and it's our way of knowing who our God is, we probably should be reading it. We know that. But then how do we start? Where do we start? Like, what are some of the basics of getting there? Because to be honest, and I'm just going to be honest with me, most of my life, my Bible sat on a shelf. I had multiple Bibles in my house, and they would just sit there. I knew I should read it, but it was in a big, intimidating book, and I didn't quite know where to start. And when I did start reading it, it was uh, not always the most helpful book for what I was going through. Have any of you, and you can raise your hand, and if you're at home, you can by yourself or in your car, you can raise your hand too, but uh, have any of you ever had a problem that you were going through in life, and you decided to grab your Bible, and you opened it up, and you did the dartboard method, right? You just open it, and you look, and you're like, well, this is the verse that's going to speak to me, God, because if you truly are God, this is the one. Anyone done that? You can raise your hand. Yeah, I have a lot um, throughout my life, and I can tell you with absolute certainty that that has been effective in my life exactly one time. One time in my entire life, that has been amazing and spoke directly to the issue that I was dealing with. And I can tell you about it. I, I had two, two older brothers, uh, one of whom is 11 months older than me. And so when we were in, I can't remember if it was elementary school or junior high, but back then, uh, which was quite a, a ways uh, long ago for me, but we, because we're 11 months apart, we we always didn't get along amazingly. Um, we fought verbally a lot, and we were one day just going at each other, and it got just super heated, and to the point where we both knew that it was going to get physical if we didn't separate. So uh, he went to his room, I went to my room, kind of maybe for a breather and to recharge, and I was just desperate. So I opened my Bible up, and it opened up to Psalm 133, verse 1, "'Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity.'" Thank you, God. I get the message. I'd like to say that into the fight, but I, I had a lot of work to do in my sanctification. But um, it was the only time that I've actually ever seen 
uh, the dartboard method work really well in my life. The rest of it is I open it up, and it's like I'm, I'm feeling anger, and so I open it up to the Psalms, and I want to enjoy uh, maybe reading through what David had experienced, and so I see it, but then I, it doesn't quite quench the, the anger in my heart, or I'm depressed, and it doesn't lift me up, and so it's that method for me, and maybe for you it works better, but for me that has not been a solid um, Bible study method for me. Uh, maybe I've taken, and maybe you have too, questions that the Bible was not designed to answer. Who should I date or who should I marry? Where should I work? Where should I live? What should I be doing uh, in this time in my life? And, you know, to be honest with you, when I was uh, dating my wife, Nikki, uh, that my, uh, you know, would be my wife, Nikki, I, I didn't open the Bible and see, Stuart, marry Nikki, because that would be weird if you're reading that verse, right? So, I'm glad that it didn't, but it does, it does speak to some of those, it, I think all of those questions, because it does tell us about my character as I start to interact with my wife, and it speaks about her character and what I should be looking for also in someone to walk through life with. So the Bible addresses these issues, but it's not a spiritual Google. It's, it, I, I wish it was that you could say, dear God, I, I need to know who I should marry, and then he gives you like, boom, top 10, and you're just like, yes, thank you that's helpful. And they all live here, and this is their phone numbers. Like, that would be amazing. Or for, you know, it takes you to a site that says it's going to give you the contact info, but it really doesn't. It wants to charge you for that. So, so what is the Bible supposed to, how are we supposed to, like, approach Scripture? Because it is powerful, right? It is, we believe it's the very words of God. And, and, and so there's a, a, a Scripture I do want to get to. Uh, it's in the New Testament, it's Hebrews. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read in verse 12. Hebrews 4.12, and it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Bible is also not like some celestial or cosmic self-help book. Uh, it's not just to make your life better. The, the Bible is meant to, because it's the very words of God, transform who you are. As we come face-to-face with the God who created us through Jesus Christ, He doesn't just give us a better, more enjoyable life. He gives you an entirely new life, a new direction, and a new end goal. It just changes the very nature of who you are. I've never seen somebody's life change apart from reading Scripture. I've seen them make minor steps in behavior, but never an actual change in heart aside from Scripture. So it has that ability. It has that power because it is the very words of God. We're told elsewhere in Scripture that the Word of God does not come back void, that it always accomplishes that for which God intends it to accomplish. It will always do what it's supposed to do. One of the reasons I think that we don't necessarily read the Bible, I know for me, I'll speak for me, maybe not for you, but is I end up uh, reading, if I, I end up thinking about reading, and then I go, I don't want to deal with that right now, because I know that if I start getting into Scripture, getting close to God, I'm going to have to deal with some truths in my life that are uncomfortable, that I'm not ready to deal with, that I really don't want to put the effort in to addressing at this point. I just want to hide a little bit more in the shadow. And so I know if I open it up, it's going to illuminate some things that I don't want to deal with. The Word of God is also a, a bright light illuminating truth in a dark world that is obsessed with image and falsehood and deceit. 
Psalm 119.105 says, your word, is a light unto my, or your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That it will illuminate truth when all, all other information sources are giving you deceit, giving you kind of truth, not quite reality. They're telling you what you want to hear. Scripture's going to tell you what you need to hear. It's not going to lie to you, and that's what I love about it. There's a story in the New Testament of the Apostle Paul. He's going around uh, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, to an area that had yet to have heard that news. And so they're in a town called uh, Thessalonica, and they, get, they, they share the good news of Jesus Christ. They tell he's the Son of God that he's come, uh, that forgiveness of sin and a way to be made right with God is upon us, and they chase him out of town. And so Paul and Silas go to a nearby town uh, called Berea, which is currently in the kind of north-central Greece. If you, if you, I like looking to where towns are in our current world to find out where this actually happened. So that's kind of where we're talking, right? So we're not in Israel. These, peop- these were people that probably had not yet heard about Jesus Christ. But they go to this town called Berea, and we pick it up in Acts chapter 17. And so I want to read uh, just a little bit from that. Acts 17, verse 10. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish, the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women in high standing as well as men. So the Bereans, instead of running Paul and Silas out of town accepted the message, but they were like, hang on, hang on. We want to make sure that what you're telling us lines up with the Old Testament scriptures, because you realize they didn't have the 27 books of the New Testament to go through and say, okay, what are you, what do the other apostles say about Jesus Christ who, who walked with him? But all they had were Old Testament scriptures, and so they had to fact check the claims of Jesus Christ with the Old Testament. When was the last time, and I'm guilty of this too, when was the last time you were fact checking Jesus Christ using the Old Testament only. That's, that they're getting into the Scriptures. They, they knew the Scriptures. They wanted to know the truth, not just what somebody was telling them. And so that's what they were doing. They were praised for that. The Bible is meant to make a difference in our lives. The Scriptures really are made to make, make a difference, not just to be uh, a checklist um, in our weekly uh, devotion or on Sunday morning we read it on the screen and maybe that's where we're all, you know, getting our Scripture, but Uh, Those are great, but the Bible's meant to make a difference in our lives. It's meant to, again, transform who we are. And uh, back to the book of Psalm, Uh, we read a little one earlier, but Psalm 119, uh, I want to read a little bit more of it now. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, It's 176 verses, all but three of them specifically refer to the Word of God or His statutes. They, by, by statutes, commands, uh, your precepts, it goes on and on. And so it's, but it's, it's about the Word of God. And so I love it. And it's a great, it's a beautiful Hebrew poem um, laid out, but it's really long. Uh, but I want to read uh, 119, 9 through 16. And it talks directly about how it's supposed to transform us. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. It's meant to make a difference in our lives. In a world where we have a lot of distractions of things we can focus on and spend our time on, uh, the most important often is the thing that we put on the last priority on our list. We want to, but we don't actually step into it. We've been, we actually, I'm going to go one more scripture, and it's further back. It's Deuteronomy. Um, we've hit this before in, in this series, and I want to read it again just to kind of get us set on the right course as we start looking at what do we do with this book that is so important, but yet so under-prioritized. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as signs on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Word of God, Scripture, should be a way of life for us, not just something that we add on to the already busy schedules of our lives. It should be the main center of our lives, and yet a lot of times I think it isn't. Um, so what do we know? We know we should be reading the Bible. So thank you, Stuart. That's what I came to church for today was to be told that you need to be reading the Bible, right? But really, I think this is my experience, and I don't know if it's your experience. I grew up in the church. Uh, I had parents who served in the church. I sat through a lot of um, what we call big church sermons, right? Listening to a guy go verse by verse exegetically uh, through Scripture. But I can tell you that not once uh, in my time growing up did anyone stop and say, this is how you read the Bible. Let me help you where to start and what, you're, what questions you should be bringing to the Scriptures. Like, what are you trying to get out of it? And here's how to do it. And so that's what I want to communicate to you today. And um, I want to use, I'm going to, I would say borrow is right the wrong word. I'm going to steal heavily from this book. Um, if, if you read one book this year, I, I highly recommend this one, Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. Uh, when I went to graduate school to learn how to study Scripture, the first course I took was called Basic Hermeneutics, which is just a fancy word for interpreting, understanding and interpreting Scripture. And so it was this, this book literally was an audio transcription of his course. Uh, jokes, bad jokes and all uh, are in here. But what I love is it's easy access. It's full of a lot of deep information on how to start studying Scripture. So if you ever wonder, like, how do I do that? How do I actually approach Scripture? Uh, it's a big book. It seems like it's a complex and confusing book at times. I don't understand, like, even how to, to begin to figure out what it's saying. This is a great place to start. So I'm going to borrow a lot from this today. So that's, if you go like, that sounds familiar. That's where it's coming from. So the, the first question uh, I brought it up earlier, and I'm going to bring it up right now. Where do we start if we're going to read Scripture? Maybe you're already reading Scripture, and you've got, like, your reading plan. And, you know, you can Google Bible reading plans, and you can see, like, chronological reading plans. You can see maybe Genesis to, to uh, Revelation. Just read straight through. Or you can do uh, a comp- compilation. Like, maybe every three years you read through the entirety of Scripture. And so it gives you some mix of Old and New Testament. You have so many. We have so many options uh, to start reading. But here's my experience so for what it's worth. 
This is just my practical experience. If you're going to start and you're not reading Scripture currently uh, on a regular basis, here's, there's three places I would recommend starting. First is the book of Luke. Uh, you don't normally hear that. Normally people like start in John. But I'm going to say book of Luke. And here's why. Because I'm very methodical and I'm linear in my thinking typically. And so I like historical uh, framework where it's, it's chronological, it's accurate, it's detailed. And Luke presents the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus in, in that kind of a way. And so for my mind, it clicks. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, interesting, and thorough, and complete narrative of, that, of, of what Jesus Christ did here on earth. And so that's a great place to start. Uh, if you're into practical, uh, you're like, I'm, I want to go to the next step. Uh, the book of James is also, I think, a really good place to start. And why? Because, it, A, it's full of do this, don't do that. It's full of this is God, this is you. It's very direct. Uh, it's five chapters. You can crank through that book really quick so you can get a good, you know, attaboy, pat on your back like I'm making progress. Um, but you can also take it pretty slow and, and you, you will see life change start to develop uh, through that. The other one, the third place to start, I would say, would be the book of Genesis. Right at the beginning. That's the very first book in the Old Testament. And maybe read through the book of Esther. And that's going to give you the creation of the world and the universe, the calling of Abraham, the creation of the nation of Israel, uh, the the downfall of Israel as they walk away from God, and then God's faithfulness in restoring them to their property and their land. Um, and then really all of that, again, weaving a unified story pointing to the ultimate Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, but it's a great narrative. The, the only issue you're going to have when you start reading Genesis to Esther, I think there's a couple, just personally, again, uh, I, I can read a lot because it's, it's written in story narrative. Uh, it's got a lot of information. It's really interesting. You want, I keep, it's a page-turner. Until you get to the genealogies and maybe like the dimensions of the temple implements um, and some of the laws and those things, it can bog you down. And so it's okay to maybe not get hung up on every pronunciation in the genealogies. You can skim that a little bit. And I'm not saying don't read the parts of Scripture you don't want to deal with, but what I am saying is don't let those things bog you down from the grander narrative of what God is communicating in, in the early parts of Scripture. So there's where to start, right? then what do we do when we're actually reading? So as we start reading, and maybe Luke and James or Genesis, what are, we, what are we looking to do as we walk through Scripture? So I read a verse or I read a chapter. Um, that's my encouragement, is I would encourage you to read uh, a paragraph, uh, of, uh, maybe a, a chapter every time you sit down to read. Um, but there's no prize for going really quickly. There's no prize for going super, super slow either. Uh, read with an intent to connect with God not just to intellectually uh, entertain your mind. You may read and you get one verse in and you're like, I'm done. Like, I, that's all I can, I got something I can chew on today. That's what I needed. Uh, God met me in that verse. And there's other times when you just can't stop turning the page and you're going to crank through a whole bunch in your time to read. And that's great too. Again, you're not going to get a gold ribbon for like I read the Bible, you know, in one month or something. But while we're doing it, there's three things we want to keep in mind. Uh, this is really the framework of how to read Scripture. Um, there's a lot more to it, but this is the, the, the overview of it. And the first thing is you want to observe what's there. What do I see? I don't know if you remember back in elementary school. I do, and I've gotten, I think, just lazy at this. But when I was a kid, and I thought it was so unimportant then, maybe exciting at first, but when they, they told you when you read, you're going to ask questions. You're going to ask who, what, when, where, why, and how be a detective as you read through any book, and you'll start to understand the story on a deeper level. But then we get into high school, and we start forgetting some of that stuff, right? 
we stop asking those questions. And the same is true, though, with Scripture, is we want to see what's actually there before we start to, to move to other steps. What we typically do, though, when we read Scripture, and I'm guilty of this, is I read a verse or a passage, and I immediately jump to how does it apply to me? And I've shortchanged what it actually means. So we want to find out what it actually meant, what it was supposed to mean, what it actually, how it was received, uh, and then start digging through on how that maybe applies to my life. We can get into all kinds of weird theology if we just jump from reading it to what does it mean to me. That can get very dangerous. So who, what, when, where, why, and how. We want to ask those questions. Who's being talked about? Who's this, who's this letter written by? Who's it written to? Who's involved in this story? What's happening? What's going on in this narrative? Or what's being communicated? Where? Where is this happening? That makes a difference. I, I'm, I love when it mentions a city or a person. Where are they from? And I love putting it on a modern-day map so I can visualize what that looks like today. Why, uh, who, what, when? I forgot the when. So when? When did this happen? When was this written? It was a different culture, a different time. How does that play into how it was communicated? I'm not a sheep herder, but I can certainly learn a lot of lessons uh, from a culture that was by a, a large uh, agriculture and, and livestock. So uh, if I don't understand when that was written, some of those illustrations are going to go over my head or go right past me, or I'll think they're irrelevant, right? So it's important to know when as well. Why? Why is this included in Scripture? Why do they say it this way? Why, why don't I understand what this is? And that's actually a great question. When you read something and you're like, this makes no sense. Like, logically, why would this person react this way to this statement? Why would they want to throw rocks at Jesus when he makes a statement your sins are forgiven to the, to the man who was lowered into the room, right? He didn't say, hey, get up and walk, but he says, your sins are forgiven. Why does he say that? That's just weird. But if you start digging in, you'll understand what he, he's making a different point there than just healing somebody, which he ultimately does. <clears throat> How? How does this apply? How does this uh, fit into Scripture? How does this work? Uh, those are great questions to be asking. So we really want to observe and, and dig deep and then find answers to those questions. Again, you can go to Google. Uh, you can get some great commentaries, a good study Bible. You can uh, ask other people who you trust. Like, answer, ask and some, answer some of these questions, and you're going to find that you're going you're to start digging into what it means, which is our next step. We want to interpret. What does it mean? And this is not what, what I want it to mean, but this is what it actually means. What did God intend to say in this section of Scripture by giving me a narrative, giving me uh, future prophecy, by giving me uh, a poem? What did, he, what did he want to communicate? What does it actually mean? And here's the thing I think we get to. If we get to a passage that we don't understand, we, we either give up or we, we just skip it. And I think it's important if you get to something you don't understand, you're like, I don't know what this means. That's a good encouragement to go back and do more observing of the passage, asking more questions and understanding it. The, the what does it mean should flow, not necessarily easily, but it should flow naturally out of finding out what's actually there. So you may need to expand into context and other verses and other books to understand what it means. So if you get caught and you're not sure what this passage actually means, go back and start looking at the scriptures some more. Dig a little deeper. And the last one really is the end goal which is applying it. Because we can, if we just do observation, we look at what's there, we figure out what it means, and then we stop there and we walk away, we have intellectually gained a lot. 
but we have allowed zero life change or connection with God. And understanding and knowing is part of the issue. Like we need to know who our God is. We need to know about who we are and other people. Those are all true things. But this is, we, we want to get here. This is really the, where the rubber hits the road. What does it mean to me? And this is not, what do I want Scripture to mean? But based on what I've figured out what it means, actually what it means, what God intended to communicate, what the principle is that's at work in this passage, what would that look like? What are the implications in my life? What does it mean if I were to apply these to me? That's what this means, because that's where we want to get. So my kids were, this week, they're homeschool. I have five kids. My wife homeschools them, um, and I don't know how she balances all that, but she does. But I was walking out of the house this week, and one thing struck me. I had I don't know if you've, if you've ever watched homeschool kids. It's not like a normal schoolhouse where they all sit in nice desks in rows. It's like I got one kid doing her, I don't think she was doing math, under the futon. Um, and then we got other kids who got headphones on in front of laptops sitting on a couch. And they're, you know, diligently studying. I've got another kid, I'm not going to name names or something. Um, but, like, they're, they're, like, whining about food in the kitchen, uh, ignoring the lesson that they're trying to, to be taught. It's, it's, so there's good students and there's not so good students. There's focused students and there's students who are very distracted. And I think oftentimes in my life, I'm like my kids, right? I'm over there in the kitchen knowing that I should be in front of a computer learning math or working through a problem, and yet I'm still like begging for food and screaming about my stomach being hungry instead of being a good student. Then I have other times when I come to the scriptures and I'm, I'm all focused, and I'm, I want to be that kind of a student more and more. And I want to encourage you to consider what kind of student are you when you come to the Scriptures? Are you distracted or are you focused? Be focused. Um, and you'll, you'll, I think you'll find you'll get some things out of it. So now we, we kind of walk through the basic outline framework of this is how we read through Scripture or a good way to, to begin to read through Scripture. Um, in the back of this book, in the appendix, um, I, li- I just lifted nine questions that he asks that I thought were really good questions that I wish somebody had given me a lot earlier on in my life uh, to help me understand and connect with God. So as I'm reading, what are some questions that, that we can ask that will help us put a, uh, pull things out of Scripture to help us in our lives? So the first one is this. Is there an example for me to follow? Is there an example for me to follow? You think back, the story of Daniel. If you remember, Daniel um, was taken from Israel, brought um, to a faraway land and serving. And so he's, he's got some influence because he's faithful. And yet, uh, there's some guys that are serving alongside him or under him that don't like him and they want to get him out. And they can't get him on character issues because he's so faithful to living a godly life, a righteous life. But what they notice is he prays diligently to his God. And so they set him up. They have the king pass an order, a, a law that says if you pray to any God uh, other than the, their, their God, that, or their king, I guess, that you would be thrown into a lion's den, which was horrible, right? And so Daniel keeps praying to God, and he does it in a window, it says. Uh, I don't think he was doing it to flaunt it. He just wasn't hiding it. He was just going to follow God regardless. And so they throw him into the lion's den, and God rescues him from that. He spends the night in a lion's den. He says an angel came and kept the, the lions from attacking him. So God rescues him in a great way, and he's faithful in there. I don't know about you, but I didn't wake up this morning 
wondering or a little nervous or anxious about the possibility of being thrown into a lion's den today. Um, There's not a whole lot of lions in Alaska, but even if there were, it's not a threat that I have to deal with. So is the story of Daniel, is that section of scripture for someone else? Is is uh, Is there anything that can apply to me? And there's an example that we can follow in Daniel's life, a faithful life serving God regardless of the outcome, standing up even in the the face of opposition and pressure. That's a principle I think we can apply in our lives. So there's an example to follow. Is there a sin to avoid? As we read through Scripture, we're going to find some things that we, we realize are offensive to God or maybe hurtful to other people or to ourselves, and we have to wrestle with those. And so there, maybe there's something that we need to start uh, avoiding in our lives because we see it in Scripture and we see the outcome, and our God has told us this is how you should live. Is there a promise to claim? There's a lot of promises written in Scripture, and some are applicable to us, some are applicable to others. Abraham was promised by God to, that God was going to make him a great nation, that, so numerous that you couldn't count all of his descendants. That's not a promise to us, that was a promise to Abraham. Did God fulfill it? Absolutely. I can't claim that. He's not promised to make Stuart into a great nation. He made a promise to the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants, to make them a great nation. And he said, you're going to spend 400 years as slaves, and then I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to free you, walk you in, and give you land that you don't have to work for. And that's going to be your land, and I will build the nation out of you. Did God fulfill that? Yes. Is that promise to me? It is not. There is a promise that I love because there's, Scripture is full of promises, and there are promises that do apply to us. In the book of Joel, uh, we are given a promise. It says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. A little minor prophet, and he gives us this command. Is that promise to us? Yes. How do we know? Because it's repeated in the book of Acts and the book of Romans. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is a true promise given to us by our God. And we now know the name of that Lord. That's Jesus. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. And it's still true today. Is there a prayer to repeat? We know the Lord's Prayer. And we probably could all recite it or at least parts of it, right? So that's a really good prayer. And sometimes that's a great prayer to pray to God. It's a great outline of a prayer uh, the content is amazing, and as you think through that, people have you know, done multi-part sermons just on the Lord's Prayer alone, so there's a lot there. There's other prayers in Scripture, and so as you're reading through Scripture, is, is there parts of that prayer that you want to add into your prayer life? Are there things that other saints were praying that you can also pray for, and that can help bolster your prayer life and maybe change the way you approach God? Is there a command to obey? God does command us uh, Throughout Scripture, there's, we know, we're familiar with the Ten Commandments. There's other things that God uh, says to do and not do for our, our protection and our encouragement and our righteousness before Him, right? And here's what I've, I've found in my own life, and I'm not going to put this on anyone else, but the parts that I don't understand in Scripture don't give me heartburn. There, there are things I don't understand, but it's the parts I do understand and I want to avoid. Those are the things that I struggle with the most. I know I should be doing this, God, but I don't want to. I know I shouldn't be doing that, but I want to. Those are the things that I struggle with. But they're still in there, and they're part of my development. Is there a condition to meet? Some of the promises of God come with conditions. 
You know, it's like my, as parents, I tell my kids, you can, can I have candy? Well, you can have candy once you've done your chore or once you've cleaned your room. That's a good motivator sometimes for, as a parent, right? Well, God has some commands that are conditional, promises that are conditional. Um, and I love this. In Jeremiah 29, 13 is an example. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that's where it cuts, right? Because I want to seek God and I want to find God and God wants to be found. He's not hiding from me, but he'll be found by me when, he, when I seek him with more than just my half-hearted approach to him, my leftover time to him. Is there a verse to memorize? And I know some of you right away, you went, I'm not good at memorizing. I don't need to do that. I, I, I was good at memorizing when I was like, you know, I, I watch my kids, and there's an age, I don't know what it is, but like, I know my five-year-old, she hears and knows everything. Like, it, she is a little parrot, right? I will say one thing, and like two weeks later, she will regurgitate it perfectly. She'll hear a song, and she can give me the lyrics. I wish I had that kind of memory again, but I don't. And then sometimes you're reading through Scripture, and you're like, well, what should I memorize? Well, obviously the whole Bible, Stuart, because it's all important, right? It's all the Word of God. But, so, so go do that, right? No, we, we, there's some things as you read through that will stand out to you or that will have meaning to you because of your life experience. And you're like, I, I wish I could make this my own. Well, how do you do that? I'm just going to tell you how I do it. Um, one of the methods that I found to be helpful to me, and I don't know if it'll be helpful to you. Because um, sometimes I'll sit down to memorize something and I'll try to review it over and over again. And I get to like the end of five minutes, I'm like, I still have no idea. Um, I, I feel like I'm failing miserably. So what I do is I write it out on a piece of paper, and I take a piece of scotch tape, and I'll stick it where I'm going to see it, like on the dashboard of my car or on the mirror as I'm getting ready in the morning. And then I try not to memorize it. I just try to read it every, every time I see it. So every time I go in to make myself uh, not look hideous, um, or every time I'm driving to where I'm going, I just read through that, that verse, or maybe it's a you know, paragraph or even a chapter. I just read through it, and that you'll find that if like a verse, you can, you'll memorize a verse just by reading it in about a week or two without even trying. You'll suddenly realize, I don't need to actually read the words anymore. I know it in my head. Um, that's just been helpful for me. Um, it may be helpful uh, for you as well. And once you memorize it, what I love is it's part of you. Like, no one can take that away from you. You don't have to go, well, let me go check the Bible. You know it. It's, it's yours. It's part of who you are, and I believe that God will start to let that take root. Uh, is there an error to mark is question number eight. Is there an error to mark? So as you spend more time understanding Scripture on your own, you will be better prepared to identify errors uh, from what people say because we're all human, and we all speak things as much as we want to say the truth. We will say, I will say things that aren't true, unintentional sometimes, uh, because it's convenient, whatever. And the only way you could check it is if you actually read Scripture and knew Scripture. And you should. You shouldn't take what any, anybody else says. You can understand it on your own. And the more time you spend there, the more you're going to be listening to your podcast, the more you're going to be reading stuff on the Internet, the more you're going to be hearing us on a Sunday morning uh, or even in a, uh, one of the life groups. And you're like, wait a minute, that's not what Scripture says. Let me, let's look at that. Uh, some of you, if you're like me, I grew up in the church and I have a lot of that baggage, uh, and sometimes in a good way, but there's also some things that I just grew up thinking, well, that's Scripture, but, and it's not. And then when I actually read it in Scripture, I realize that I need to correct that in my, my system of belief. So is there an error to mark? And the last one is this. Is there a challenge to face? 
Is there a challenge to face? Scripture calls us to do all kinds of things, especially in relationship with each other. So like when Scripture calls us, calls me, uh, I need to forgive somebody, you know, 770 times or more, basically forgive them because I have received forgiveness. I have to wrestle with that. That doesn't come naturally to me, right? I don't know if it comes naturally to you. It's hard. It's hard to admit sometimes when I'm wrong. It's hard to go and reconcile a relationship with somebody else. And so that's a challenge to face. Reading Scripture, it's not easy. It's not easy to make that a priority in a world full of distractions. But we're called to it, and it's a challenge that we should face. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm pretty passionate about getting people to read Scripture. That's if, if you get anything else from today, I, I, you probably pick that up. Read Scripture. Read the Bible. God has given us His Word. Uh, it's reliable. It's worthwhile to spend your time doing it, and you'll find rewards in that. You'll, you'll start connecting with the God who created us. But if you're like me too, I also come up with a lot of excuses. I'm not a good reader. I'm busy. I got kids. I got two jobs. I, I'm more of a movie person. I'm not a book person. Like, I'm an audio learner. All those things. Those are all things that I personally have used, right? So, so what do we do? Well, I think I was thinking of an illustration. It's like, I don't know if any of you, I, you know, we, we like traveling around Alaska. There's a lot of water around Alaska, so we got one, finally got one of those gold pans. Um, and so whenever we go camping now, we take the gold pan, and we don't always, but a lot of times if we're, we're thinking about it, we'll grab the pan grab some dirt or sand by the, the river, and we'll pan that, pan that pan. And what do we find? A little bit. Occasionally we see like a little sparkle, not enough to even like pick it out. We just like, eh, that's cool, that's gold. Um, I've never gotten a giant rock of gold by doing it that way, partly because I'm not committed to it. It's more of a, a passing hobby or something that I want my kids just to see and experience. What about the people who go and buy land and start digging into the ground, and start extracting minerals from the rock. They got equipment. They got a system. They're investing a lot of time. They're, gonna, they're either going to make it or they're going to go broke. They're all in. What are they finding? Sometimes nothing. Uh, most of the time, though, they're, they're the ones who are pulling in the actual, uh, actual gold that, that we see in use today. It's worth the payoff, and Scripture is like that, too spending time in Scripture. If you approach it with a, it's, it's the th- last thing I do if I get time or when I'm desperate, you're going to find that it's what you're getting out of it. If you're willing to invest some time, make it a priority in your life, you're going to start to find that you're going to discover things on your own that are going to energize you in your relationship with God. I said it before, but I want to say it again. God is not hiding from us. He's not playing this big celestial game of hide and seek where he just is like, if you just do the things the right way, you're going to find me. But he has told us that, that we, need to, we need to seek him. We need to be seekers. We need to be followers. We need to dig. So I encourage you that today. So what do we do with it? We, we always have action steps at the end of our time. Um, and so if you have your card, uh, if you're here in the room, uh, if not, they're, they're online. But uh, the little thing on the bottom, it says action steps on one side. That's how you can know it's the action steps. Um, and on the other side, it has four things that you can do this week because we can come in here and then never really actually take a step. Um, and we want to help encourage you. So we just want to send you a text or an email that says, hey, you, you committed to this. Uh, just want to encourage you. How are you doing on it? The first one is this. Begin a relationship with Jesus. Because everything we do here points to that. It's all about that. It's connecting people with the God who created him through Jesus Christ. 
There's no other way. There's no other way to come to God but through Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's by far for us the most important thing. As you read through Scripture, you're going to see that. Again, a story all pointing to Jesus. The second one is start reading the Bible. Luke, James, Genesis, somewhere. If you're already reading, just continue. Read the Bible with one or two people. That sounds a little odd. I love my time in the morning by myself reading the Bible each day. But I really love throwing ideas out from what I've read to my family, to my friends, people I work with here at the church, and having other perspectives. And it's amazing when you put two people in, this, in the room talking about a scripture, you'll, you'll start to see things that you didn't see on your own. The Spirit of God, I think, works in community. And the last one is, um, if you're going to read a book this year, well, if you're going to read one, read this one. Read the Bible. But if you have room for two books this year, um, I really recommend picking a copy of this up. I don't get a kickback from it, but I think it's worth your time. Uh, and as you walk through it, you're going to start to see Scripture come alive in a new way. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, that you have not hidden it from us. You have not just created the universe and walked away and said, well, I hope it works out. But you have given us your words. You have shown us through history how you have interacted with people just like us. Lord, you have shown us the way to truth. You have given us the only way to to be made right with you, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that what we see in Scripture is a beautiful, unified story pointing to a God who connects with us who offers us reconciliation. Lord, thank you so much for that. Lord, I thank you that you have given us each other, that you have allowed us to walk through life together. Lord, I pray that you would ignite in us a desire to know you, a desire to come to you, a desire to seek you as if you were the most precious thing that we could seek because you are. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.